Our passage of scripture again is in John chapter 5, and I'll read verses 31 through 40. John 5, verses 31 through 40. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has bore witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you are willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me testifies of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You would think that Jesus as the son of God would not need to defend himself at all. And there is a very real sense that he doesn't need to defend himself. As I've communicated in the previous sermons, and this is the third one, uh, part three of Jesus' Son of God defense, uh, as I've communicated, number one, he has life-giving power. He can give life or he can take it away, and he could have done that to his enemies right there, and then he did not need to defend himself as if he were in a courtroom and these were his judges, but he does so anyway. He has power to judge and he tells them this. They were putting themselves up as judges and saying, we will judge you. And they were ready to condemn him, but he tells them, I am the one that truly has the power to judge. And then here in this passage, he provides witnesses. These are my witnesses, he says. If I just speak by myself and he's talking as a man, then my witness is, is not true. It doesn't have any backing. But here are my witnesses. For, for himself, Jesus needed none of these. He didn't need to answer these people at all. Uh, as I said, he could have immediately righteously judged them and he could have destroyed all his enemies and yet he does not do that. He brides a witness as he wants his hearers to believe and not just his hearers but us uh, who through John's gospel, even today his readers and who are hearing me preach, uh, consider Jesus gave witnesses to who he was. This is still the son of God defense. And now he's saying, 
I'm not alone in claiming I'm the Son of God. I have other witnesses that tell you this. And here is his start of this. And his first witness is, number one, John the Baptist. Jesus says in 531 through 35, if I bear witness myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp. You are willing for a time to rejoice in his light. They were rejoicing for a time, he says, in, in John's preaching. Even though John never com, you know, had any miracles, but he had something that uh, attracted these people, even the, the Jews that eventually were against John. At one point, they all gathered to him, and yet now they're, they're not. What does Jesus mean in verse 31? If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Well, one, he's referring himself here as, as a man as a man speaking to men, and according to law, their law, even God's law, every matter had to be established by two or three witnesses. And so he's agreeing with the law. He's saying, I will not speak to you alone. I have witnesses that back me according to the law. Jesus is agreeing to that role, but he's also ready to provide the witnesses. And he's doing this, and his first witness was John. Now, John was a witness they had questioned. John 1, if you remember, uh, some of you weren't here when I preached on John 1, but he, John, in John 1, bore witness to the fact that Jesus was and is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. All of this John said, John the Baptist it says in John 1, 6 through 8, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light. The light is Jesus that through him, uh, that, that all through him might believe he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And that's John's calling. Uh, his whole purpose in life, the reason he was uh, given the Holy Spirit, even in the womb, was that one day he would witness for Christ. He was Christ's forerunner. In verse 19 of chapter 1 of this Gospel of John, it says, Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him. That's exactly what Jesus is referring to. In chapter 5, he says, you sent men to, uh, to John to ask him questions to, to like a presbytery committee saying, we're sending these men, <coughs> they're commissioned to do this job. <coughs> they were sent to question John and they asked him, John the Baptist that is, <coughs> who are you? And it says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. 
And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent, sent us? Notice how they think John might be the Christ. But Jesus, they don't believe at all. But they thought he might be. And then they said, what do you say about yourself? And he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Those are quotes from the, the, uh, Isaiah's writings about this prophet. As the prophet Isaiah said, now those who were sent were from the Pharisees and they asked him, saying, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. In the other Gospels, it says, one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And that's Jesus. There's one among you, he's saying. And then the next day, he's even more clear about this because Jesus comes on the scene. In John 1.29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when he did that, some of uh, John's followers became Jesus' followers. And then in verse 30, it says, This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water, and John bore witness, saying, and here's the witness. Remember, we're talking about witnesses. John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the, the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And verse 34, And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And so they want witnesses, and Jesus says, My first witness is John. And notice what John had said to them about Jesus He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the same Jews that Jesus is talking to now. And he says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. That's his testimony, you could say, in the courtroom where Jesus is being tried. The Jews sending men to question John was showing respect to him and to his ministry. Uh, John 5.33, Jesus says, you have sent to John and he bore witness to the truth. And that truth included that Jesus is the Son of God. They listened to John for a time. They rejoiced in John the Baptist's light. But Jesus, who John called the Son of God, they wanted to kill. And so for a while, they were willing to listen to men, even Jesus' forerunner, uh, John the Baptist. But Jesus, even though he's performing miracles, they want to kill him. And so the first witness is John. The second witness of Jesus is his works. Verse 36, he says, But I have a greater witness than John's, 
For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, these bear witness, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Now works here, I believe, is primarily a reference to miracles. He's saying these miracles that I am doing, they bear witness, they tell you who I am, that I am the Son of God. Nicodemus, when he met uh, Jesus, says, no one can do the works that you do unless God has sent him. That was one of the Pharisees who was starting to be converted. And here, Jesus is referring to those works, particularly in this chapter, he had healed the man who was 38 years infirm, and he's walking with his bed, and we see that this is Jesus uh, bearing witness, uh, God bearing witness to Jesus, you could say, by giving him these, this power to do these various things. Uh, they are witness that he is, in fact, God's son. Hebrews 1 tells us, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke to us in the time past, to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the world who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high becoming so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than, than they. Note in Hebrews 1, Jesus is called God's son, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his per person. And the one uh, work mentioned in here, uh, he had himself purged our sins. One of Jesus's Greatest, actually, you could say maybe his greatest work is his death on the cross for our sins. They thought of his miracles, and I'm sure he was talking about his miracles, but also you have to include in those works the work on the cross because it is the great work that brings us salvation uh, that uh, is in that way a witness to who Jesus is as God's son and, and who God is in his mercy towards us in spite of the fact that we nailed him to the cross. He uses the very event that showed our hatred to show his love for us. It's one of those works that shows us that he is in the image of God and it shows us who God is. He is merciful. He's gracious. He's wanting to say. And so thirdly, Number three, witness, God the Father. John 5, 37 and 38. And the Father himself, who sent me, testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. They weren't believing in Jesus and Jesus is telling them right here, you know, the Father testifies to me, God the Father. But if you say you're believing in him, you have no clue because I know I'm his son and he witnesses of me. We see some of this witness. Again, Matthew three sixteen and 17, uh, Jesus' baptism. 
It says, when he had been baptized, Jesus came immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well placed. Probably, probably why John the Baptist says that Jesus is the son is because he heard God the father say Jesus is the son. When he baptized Jesus. Now did all these people hear this? No. But God the Father did testify to the fact that Jesus is his son. Again, this is future to this point in John. But if we go forward to John 12, uh, right after Jesus had raised Lazarus and and people were gathering around him and even the Greeks uh, were coming to him. Gentiles were coming and... He's about to go to the cross, Jesus is. And this is chapter 12 is one of his last public appearances where he's actually talking to people other than just his apostles and disciples. He's talking to a bigger group and he says in this chapter, verse 27, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, meaning the hour of his death, But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it thundered. And others said, an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. There you see it again. God the Father in heaven speaking, you can say testifying for Jesus. Uh, Glorify my name, Jesus prays. And people hear God the Father saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Uh, God was on Jesus' side. Not on the other side. An important question. What passage of scripture comes immediately after Matthew 3.17? Matthew 3.17 is the verse where Jesus is being baptized and it says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Have you thought about the passage that comes immediately after chapter 3, verse 17? 17 is the last verse in Matthew 3. And then you have Matthew 4, and Matthew 4 starts like this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said... If you are the son of God, command these stones to be bread. See the impact of that? God the father had just said, this is my beloved son to Jesus in front of John the Baptist when Jesus was rebaptizing. And as soon as that happens, the next one we see in scripture speaking is the devil, Satan, who says, if you are the son of God command these stones to be made bread. And so my point 
Shortly after God the Father proclaims Jesus' sonship, the devil, Satan, questions his sonship. And that's what these people also were doing who were ready to try Jesus. They were ready to kill Jesus. It's just what people continue to do today. When we question that Jesus, whether he's the son of God or not, what are we doing? We're doing the devil's work. Uh, We're missing out. Verses 37 and 38 of John 5, Jesus says, And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent you do not believe. Doubting God about believing Jesus is his son means that you are believing what the devil says. There's, not, there's, there's, there's one way or the other. Either Jesus is God's son, as God the Father says and testifies, or it's a questionable thing, as Satan would, would say, are you the son of God? He asked even Jesus himself that, as if Jesus needed to prove it. And that's what we see happening in John 5. They are questioning you know, they were, they, were, they were questioning him about two things. They were trying him on two things. First was uh, healing on the Sabbath, which they, they were saying was against God's law. And then the second was he claimed to be the son of God. And that was, made them even more angry at Jesus. And here he's telling them, I have this testimony. I have the testimony of John the Baptist. I have the testimony of my miracles. I have the testimony of God the Father. And then he has a fourth witness, number four, the Bible. He says in verse 39 and 40, you search the scripture for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You search the scripture, you study the scripture. These were people, they weren't uh, the heathen out in the world that never saw the Old Testament, these were the students of the word of that day. And Jesus credits them with that. He says, you search the scripture because in them you think you have eternal life. These were people who studied the word, but he says, and these are they which testify of me. They looked at the scripture, but they weren't seeing Jesus in the scripture And he says, but you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. Well, here is something both sad and scary when you think of it. The people who were rejecting Jesus were students of God's word. You search the scripture, he says to them. Donald Carson says, and Donald Carson was one of my seminary professors. He says, certainly there is ample external evidence that supports This reading of the Jewish motivation, Hillel affirms that the more study of the law, the more life, and that if a man gains for himself the words of the law, he has gained for himself life in the world to come. By contrast, Jesus insists that there is nothing intrinsically life-saving or life-giving about studying the scripture if one fails to discern their true content and purpose. What he's saying there is, if you study the scripture, everyone knows that's a blessing to study the word. But if you study the word, 
and you still don't understand it, and you still uh, mess up the way you interpret it, and you don't believe in Jesus, even though you study the word, you're missing out. You're not getting the eternal life that you might think you would get from that study. You have to study and understand. When we look at the Old Testament, we see every lamb sacrificed for sin pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As John says, John the, John the Apostle and John the Baptist, because John the Apostle is quoting the John the Baptist when he says, then the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If they had understood the Old Testament rightly, they would understand that the offering up of lambs and bulls and goats was because of sin. And it pointed to the fact that we are sinners and we need that salvation that Christ, who as the Lamb of God, would give. But when they studied, they weren't noticing that part. They would read the law and they thought they were keeping it, that they were good, that they were uh, doing what was right all the time and they didn't need the sacrifices. And so they thought they didn't need Jesus. The Passover lands, whose blood protected Israel from the angel of death, point to Jesus, who is our Passover. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Christ, our Passover, they were saved in the Old Testament uh, from slavery in Egypt. Uh, The angel of death came and judged those who did not have the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. Supposedly, even if a Hebrew person would not have the blood on his doorpost, the firstborn would be killed. And the same is true for us. If we don't have the blood of the lamb, if we aren't covered by Christ's blood, if, if he didn't die for us, we have no salvation doesn't matter even if we read the word if we study it if we're not getting the point that we are sinners and need christ we have missed out abraham was willing to offer up isaac so that god the father uh, and so god the father gave his only begotten son as the serpent was raised in the wilderness so the son of man would be lifted up all of these things Uh, And much more than what I'm saying here, point to the fact of what Jesus would do on our behalf on the cross. Abraham stretched out his hand. He was ready to kill his son Isaac. And God stopped him. An angel stopped him. Because Isaac didn't really need to die. Uh, But Jesus Jesus as the son of God would die. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In Numbers 21, we read about how the people complained against God, and because of that, God sent uh, these fiery serpents, you know, vipers, extremely poisonous and aggressive, and they're biting the people, and the people realize that this is happening because of their sin, and they pray to God, and when they do that, God directs Moses to put a bronze serpent on a pole. And if you can think of a bronze serpent, once you bronze it, that, that, that serpent is pretty solid. Uh, and you put it on a pole, what does that do? It makes a cross. 
And Jesus says in the New Testament, in John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. John three fourteen, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so these were things that they could have or should have understood from the Old Testament uh, about Jesus. The word was testifying to him. These are they which testify of me, he said, but they were missing this. And even though they had studied, they uh, had missed it. The Bible is a great, valuable book, but you have to understand and apply its teaching to your life. That's why he says, and these are they which testify of me. And then in verse 40, he says, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. The law should make us see our sin, to see our need for Jesus. In John chapter 1, Again, John 1, 16 through 18, it says, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, meaning he's God's Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. John the Apostle obviously saw this. He saw Jesus as God's Son. He saw Jesus as coming uh, to die for our sins. But these other people, though they had studied God's word, they were missing it. The law shows us our problem, sin, and it points to the solution, God's son, Jesus Christ. The further problem, verse 40, but you are not willing to come that you may have life. Now this is a, a, a question that I'll, uh, even when we go to chapter 6, I'll be dealing with even more how we come to Christ. But here it says, not willing. And when he says that, you should understand our will will not save us. Some people talk about free will as if that's something that'll save us or help us. Uh, Scripture doesn't deny we have a will. It just says our will isn't free from sin. Our will isn't able to do what is right until God enables us. And we need to realize that we're unwilling and that we're unable. And that's what he's telling these. He's saying, your your will is is all wrong. The word of God is a true witness. Uh, Romans 10, 17. So, So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God does bring about faith. Uh, if you look at First Peter one uh, twenty three, it says that it's the seed of the new birth. Uh, the word of God brings it about. But uh, in John 10.17, if you go on in that passage, it says, well, they heard the word, but they did not come. They did not believe. And that's because God did not enable them and they did not seek that. John 6, and by John 6, they will, we will see them come. Some of them come to Christ, but not rightly or really. They want him to make more bread. They want him to feed them forever. They want to make him king. 
but they don't trust him as Savior. They don't want him as Lord. They don't understand the spiritual aspects of things. And when we see John 6, not only do the Jews who were against him uh, leave him, but many of his own followers, the disciples, they say, you know, he's talking about being the bread of life. And, you know, they don't want him, the bread of life. They want more of that delicious bread that he made in the miracle. And they said, how can we understand this? And most of his followers don't follow him anymore, which is John chapter 6. I I hope before we get to John 6, you can read that chapter all the way through. I'm not sure how I'm going to preach on it yet, uh, how I will divide it up, but it's a big, long chapter, 70-some verses. And so it would help if you had a a reading of it right before I preach on it uh, to do that. But they did not come. They could not come. Uh, because they weren't right with, with, with God and they needed him to help them to be that way. They couldn't come unless God enabled it and they didn't realize that. Well, here we see these witnesses. And why would these witnesses come? Well, Jesus says that they might be saved, uh, that they might believe and be saved. But what if they weren't saved? What, what did the witnesses do? Well, the witnesses on the last day will be witnesses in their condemnation. You heard Jesus. He spoke to you. Your condemnation is going to be greater than those in Sodom and Gomorrah because you heard Christ speak himself. You heard about these different witnesses speak for Christ. You saw the miracles. You read his word. You heard him speak. And yet you still fought against him and did not believe. And that will be part of their pains in hell that they had these opportunities. Well, let's pray. Father, We thank you for this passage where Jesus speaks in his own defense, but not because he needed to be defended, but because he would have his hearers to be saved. And he has all these witnesses, John the Baptist. He has his miracles, his works, even his work on the cross. He has has you, God the Father, testifying to the fact that he is your son. And he also has the Bible, which the whole Old Testament that they had at that time, the sacrifices, the things that happened to various people like to Abraham and to the uh, children of Israel when they rebelled in the wilderness, uh, the Passover, all of these things point to Jesus and many more. Isaiah the prophet, you know, saying, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Father, we know all of these are talking about your son, our Lord Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that we might read and understand, that we might hear the voice of the Father, that we might believe that Jesus is God's son and, and wholeheartedly believe the things, that he has life in his power, life and death, and that he is also the judge and he's able to judge. Father, we thank you for this passage that we've been studying in John 5 for three weeks now, uh, and we pray that we might see the import of it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's very gracious of God to give us